will, go ahead and get uh, Luke chapter 24 in front of your eyes this morning. Luke 24. We're going to begin in verse 44, or as people from St. Louis say it, farty far. Is that right? They don't? Depending on who you are. Okay. So some people in St. Louis say farty far. Your mother would. Okay. Trisha's mother says farty far. Uh, anyway, hopefully you know that's two fours. Uh, Anyway, last week, Jesus suddenly appeared before his disciples, and they were afraid of him, or afraid, rather, not necessarily of him, and and Jesus spoke this message of peace to them uh, before proving that he was real, that he was physical, that he was touchable, right? This is an actual resurrected body, Uh, and and so that's what we're looking at last week, and and then Luke's next word that we see today in our passage there at the beginning of verse 44, it's this word then, which makes it sound like it just happened the same night, the same moment, right, like moments after this, Uh, but we know that this is not the case. Um, Luke is condensing this this story a bit. It's kind of like I might say I, I went to seminary and then we moved to Kansas City and those didn't just all happen at one instant moment. The word then covers a big gap of time. That's what's going on here. Uh, and again, I say this because uh, in Acts 1-3, which Luke also wrote, same author, he says that Jesus appeared to the disciples and many others over the course of 40 days uh, but before the actual, uh, his ascension, right? And, and so what we're uh, about to read here is, is, is one instance of Jesus' instructions to his disciples, what you're going to do while, while, while I'm gone. And, and before we read, I, I do kind of want to set it up here today with, with the question Christian, what is your hope for the world? What, what is your hope for, for our nation? What is your, your hope for, for our city, for your campus, for Fort Riley? What, what do you hope more than anything for the people that dwell around you in, in those areas? Right? Is it happiness or good health or success or salvation? You know, what, what do you desire for them? What's your hope for them? Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll read Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, open our minds to understand the scriptures, to believe your word fully. Grant us freedom from distractions this morning as we transition from uh, our widely cultural practice of just fluttering distraction to, God willing, a sustained focus on on the preaching of your word, on on your word. May we today grow more confident in the power of the gospel to change lives, to redeem souls. May we gain a greater sense of what you have called us to in this life as a a church. Uh, It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's go over a few things here at the beginning. When, when Jesus says the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he's talking about the entirety of the Old Testament. That's just kind of the way they referred to it. Um, the, the law of Moses 
is, is the first five books of, uh, of the Bible, what we often refer to as the Pentateuch, uh, which really sounds cool, but it translates to just five books, real simple. Um, the, the prophets include all of the major and minor prophets, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Hosea, etc., but it also includes those historical books, uh, SKC, right, uh, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Psalms obviously means the Psalms, but it also includes the Pro uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And, and anyway, he says it this way because these are the divisions that they kind of naturally spoke uh, of the Old Testament and at the time. A little bit, not exactly, but a little bit like we might just say the Old and New Testaments instead of, you know, the whole Bible. Uh, so when Jesus says these words uh, after that, right, are, are, are what I spoke when I was still with you, he, he means with them during his public ministry, uh, before his death and his resurrection. He's saying, these are things I've been teaching you for a long time. You, you know these things, and he's teaching them again. And when Jesus says everything written about him must be fulfilled, he, he's again showing them that the entirety of the, uh, of the Old Testament, of the scriptures, spoke of him, and, and, it's, and that it was God's sovereign will that, that he, Jesus, actually fulfill all these prophecies. And he does. And so he's walking him through these. For instance, he might have gone to Leviticus 16 and, and shown how the blood of the sacrifice pointed to his blood being the, the ultimate atoning sacrifice for sins of all those he would redeem. Or he might have turned to Isaiah 53, just about anywhere in Isaiah 53, right? But maybe he showed them how necessary it was that he was to be stricken and, and smitten and afflicted for our transgressions. Or perhaps he took him to Psalm 22:16. Uh, and, and it shows how it, made, it was necessary that his hands and his feet be pierced with the crucifixion nails. Or maybe he, he showed them how Jonah, in the belly of a big old fish for three days, and, and then pointed to his resurrection after three days. Or that when Psalm 16.10 says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, uh, or let your Holy One see corruption, that those words are fulfilled in Christ when he is resurrected from the grave instead of rotting there. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples here for this period of time that is between his ascension to the Father and his triumphant return that we longingly look forward to. Um, and, and he does something spiritual within them. You see it there in verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. To understand the Scriptures. There is... Two things I, I want you to see here. The, the first one, well, well, there's a segment of our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who today have this longing to know God more intimately, which is a good desire, commendable. But in this segment, who, and I'll tell you, you know, we generally refer to this segment as, as charismatics, um, they, they want to know God. They, 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 want to know, they want God to speak to them directly, some mis mystical way apart from the Scriptures. And so they pray something like, God, speak to me, reveal yourself to me. And, and, they, and they want this special message apart from the scriptures. And again, I, I commend their desire for intimacy with Christ. I, I really do. But, you know, because some of us need to know the Lord or desire to know the Lord more than we do. But, but did you notice as Jesus prepares these disciples, his apostles, for, for leaving them, for being away from them, that he doesn't just open their minds in some mystical nothingness apart from the scriptures. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. For, for these scriptures are, are, are where God actually reveals himself, reveals the, his work of redemption, reveals how we are to live our lives, reveals the hope of the gospel, and so, so much more. 
The other side of this is that the Bible is spiritually discerned. What I mean is, is this. It doesn't matter how intellectually brilliant you are. You will never understand the message of salvation. You'll never believe it. You will never understand and embrace the teachings of scriptures unless God opens your mind to understand them. That's why the Apostle Paul, right, 1 Corinthians 2.14 writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is why, you know, the so-called last Puritan, J.C. Ryle, who I quote from a lot, um, said this. He said, anyone who wants to read the Bible profitably must first ask the Lord Jesus to open the eyes of his understanding through the Holy Spirit. You might have noticed, right, that uh, every time I stand up here to preach, I, I begin by praying something along the lines of God and enlighten our minds today. Give us understanding. Give us belief, you know, to believe your, your, your word. We, we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to enlighten our minds for, for the process of digging into God's word and seeking to understand it. But what you might not know is that every Tuesday morning when I begin sermon prep in earnest, uh, I also pray the same thing. When I sit down, you know, to just meet with the Lord by reading scriptures and just a devotional level, right? Pray the same thing. And Christian, if you, if you don't already begin to pray that, to ask the Lord to open your eyes to understand the scriptures when you spend time there, begin to do so. Yes, it's good to use study Bibles. It's good to ask each other's questions. It's, it's good to learn from all sorts of sources that way, but know that, you know, all of that is an absolute waste of time unless God opens your mind to understand the scriptures, and opens your mind to, to know how to apply these beautiful words to life. Uh, so then in verse 46 here, Jesus lists three things that must be fulfilled. Three of them. Uh, number one, the Christ, the Messiah, that's Jesus. He must suffer and die. That's something that needs to be done. You see, because without, uh, without the death of Christ, sin could never have been atoned for. And thus we could have never received the mercy of God, never be at peace with God apart from those things happening. The second thing he says was necessary to, to, that for Jesus to fulfill was that he's resurrected from the dead. This fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, but it also confirms that Jesus has paid our price in full, absolutely. There's nothing that we need to add. It's not like he, he put the down payment and now our good works come and fill it up or something. It's, it, it's done. It's complete. It's been received fully. The, the curse is broken. Death is completed. Now, these first two things have already been fulfilled when Jesus says this. He's saying these are the things that, have, that must be fulfilled, and he has already done them. But the third thing Jesus says must be filled is, is what Jesus is calling his disciples, calling his church to do from this point going, from that per, point going forward. Right? The third thing that must be fulfilled, look at verse 47, is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations. It's kind of crazy. Here he's inviting his church into this. His disciples, I'm going, but I have something for you to do. As Charles Spurgeon once said, there was a divine necessity that Christ should die and an equally imperative must that he should arise again from the dead, but there is an equally absolute necessity that Jesus be preached to every creature under heaven. Now Spurgeon throws the word every creature under heaven there because he's referencing Mark 16, 15 where Jesus gives a similar call, but he says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
which, you know, gets to the whole point of this passage. What does Jesus desire his church, his bride, his redeemed people, his disciples to do as we await his glorious return? In other words, what is the mission of the church? Um, We hear our God-given mission in those words there in Mark 16, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We, we hear the mission in our passage today that we proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of, uh, forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus to all nations. We, we hear it in the, 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 what is commonly called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, right? Where, where there Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and he tells them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is a calling to the church, a calling to God's people to, to, to remember, right? These were, and do remember, these are quite ordinary people on some level. These are fishermen and tax collectors. God calls them to this, all of them, all of us. See, so first we, we must believe the gospel in our own hearts, God works redemption within us. He, he opens our eyes to, to believe the scriptures, to believe the gospel, to believe in Christ. And, and, and then we repent and confess and turn away from our sin. And uh, as we also place our faith in the person of, of Jesus Christ. And you know, if you've really em- embraced the gospel, if, if you really, really grasp all that Christ has done for you, all that you were actually redeemed from, then it becomes quite easy to tell others about the hope you have in Christ. Not because you feel like you should, but because you desire it for them as well. You want them to have this, this hope, this forgiveness. When, when, when you hear make disciples, like we see in Matthew 28, <clears throat> I want you to remember too that it doesn't say make converts. right? That's a, a part of disciple making. It's a very important part of disciple making, the very first part of it. But, but it's not the whole process of disciple making. If I were to tell you to make pizza and all you did was make dough, and we sit down to eat and you just throw dough on the table, there it is, right? You, you haven't actually completed it. You've just begun the process of making pizza. It, it's like that. Discipleship is a, an ongoing following of Jesus. It's learning to be and to live more like Jesus, learning to love others like Jesus, learning to rest more in the finished work of Christ for you. Learning to share the wonderful hope of the gospel with others. That's part of our discipleship that it doesn't just stay with us. Right? Because that's what Jesus calls us to. And, and, and so much of, of discipleship is, is, is accomplished through relationships. It's hard to do it apart from relationships. Which is why you, you do hear us so often encouraging togetherness and, and community. Because so much of, of how we actually learn how how we are actually discipled is, is not just reading a godly book. It's not just listening to someone tell us how to do it. It's not just sitting in a classroom and, and, and seeing it. It's, it's actually observing it. It's walking alongside someone as they do it too. In other words, don't just <clears throat> tell me how to follow Christ. Show me how to follow Christ. I, I sat down with a guy this week, and, and the same thing happens all the time, right? Who, who said what... So many men tell me over and over again over the years, he says that I, I know all these things God's called me to in my life. I know that God calls me to love my wife as, as Christ loves the church, but 
You know, he didn't grow up in a godly home any more than I did. And, and, and he's never seen that. He's never been able to witness that. And, and so there's this desire to do so, to make that real, but never gotten to witness it. How many of us are, are struggling to, to know how to make disciples because we've never seen it done? Outside of the preaching of the word on a Sunday or Sunday school, which are wonderful, wonderful things and means of grace for the Lord, you know, the Lord to us, but those are structured things where someone else is doing it. We're, we're not walking alongside someone as they, they help them to understand, answer questions about who is Jesus? Why should I care? We've never had someone just read a book of scripture alongside us and to pray for enlightenment with us and to think through, how do I actually understand this? How do I apply this? You, you never had someone ask you personal questions that unearth all sorts of weaknesses in your life, all sorts of, of sin that maybe you've been able to hide from others. Or someone who helps you think through what a more godly response to your frustrating boss would have been. That kind of thing. So, so listen, if you're serious about obeying Jesus here and the Great Commission, and you should be serious about it, but begin to think through a couple of things. One is, who might disciple you well? Really come alongside and help you do that. Or who might you disciple well? Right? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's on us to ask somebody. And I know we always wanted the younger person asking, but, but think of this in terms of, uh, of someone who's immature in the faith. Now, if someone asks you, don't assume they think you're immature. Uh, but, but the idea, we're, we're kind of assuming people to, to go and ask for this stuff when they don't even know to ask for it. And so you might need to initiate it. And, and yes, discipleship can be a, one-on-one discipleship can be a, about mutual thing, right? You disciple each other. I, and, and so I, I challenge you, right, to find someone in your life, a fellow believer, who will, you know, ask them, will you disciple me? Or, you know, do you want to just read through this book together and follow after the Lord together. We can just encourage each other as we read through Philippians or, or something like that, right? Or, or, or maybe <clears throat> consider who in the orbit of your life you, you need to proclaim the gospel to. Begin to pray for that. Right? To really pursue discipling someone in this way, even if it's just at the very basic level. Hey, I'm going to read this book of the Bible. I don't know if you care about this, but you want to just read it with me just for fun? Uh, you know? And, and you'd be shocked how many people who who, who know nothing about Jesus, care nothing about Jesus, are willing to do that just out of curiosity. What is this all about? That's it. And so I asked at the start, what, what's your hope for the world? What's your hope for America, the city, Fort Riley, your campus? <clears throat> and, and I asked because I, I want to challenge you to make the gospel truly central. Because what's become very clear in our passage and the Great Commission, right, and, and the Mark 16 is that the mission that God has given to his church is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the whole nation, to the whole world, to the whole creation. Which means everything else cannot be the primary mission of the church. Even some very, very good things. You see, it's so easy for, for a church or, or Christians in general to lose sight of the mission to, to make disciples. And instead, of, uh, instead, the focus becomes something else. 
right? We, we hear in recent years, there's a big focus on the, the renewal of the city, right? And that becomes this mission of the church, you know, let's renew the city. And, and sure, we pray for that. We, we want to see our city flourish when, and really believe, you know, when men and women trust in Jesus, a, a beautiful side effect is that the, the culture around it, the, the city around it will, will flourish. But renewing, renewal of the city is not the mission of God. For others, the, the mission becomes bringing an end to abortion. This is a godly cause. I, I long for this. I pray for this. I, I think it's worth my time to be involved in advocating for this, right? But it, it is not the mission of the church. Our God-given mission is to make disciples. Maybe your heart longs to see peace and, and unity among people of, of different races. That's great, but it's not the mission of the church. Neither is ending modern-day sex slave trade. Neither is feeding and, and providing for the poor does God call us to that? Yes, but it's not the mission that he has sent us out with, right? And so maybe your, your hope for America is, is the election of a, a politician or a political party, right? That'll fix everything. And, and yes, we do desire godly men and women who will promote godly laws and practices to be elected. Yes, you have freedom in Christ to be involved in campaigns all you want, but, uh, but political campaigns are not the mission that Jesus has given to his church. And I'll tell you, as a, a pastor, I, I take some flack sometimes for taking such a narrow, committed view of, of Jesus' call to make disciples because everything else wants to rise up and become the mission of the church in people's minds, right? Sometimes people want to know, why, why don't you encourage people to vote for a certain candidate or, or, or they want us to organize a congregation? Why aren't we involved in this protest or this movement? Uh, these things are important, but they're not the mission of the church. They might be a, a fruit of the mission, but they are not what Jesus has called his church to do. And in other words, there are many great causes in the world today, but there is only one great commission that must be our focus as the church. Let's narrow our, our focus back to the passage here. Jesus uses that phrase, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, to to repent is to confess our sins before God. It is a, a turning from our sin as we turn to Jesus with faith. We could say that faith and, and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Uh, the, God, or the call of God to repentance is, is not a new thing. It's not only after Jesus. It was going on before, right? The prophets were always calling sinners to repentance. In Proverbs 28, 13, we read, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Confessing and forsaking, that's repentance. And Jesus calls his church, us as church, to, to call people everywhere to repentance because this is the path of forgiveness through Christ. Nowhere else. Steve Lawson, in his Table Talk devotional, explains that Regeneration gives the gifts of repentance and faith. Right? God, God works in someone. That's what enables repentance and faith. And yet we are to proclaim this message to call people to that. In, in other words, we, we, we call people to repentance, but only the Holy Spirit can cause the change of heart that is necessary for anyone to actually respond to that call of faith, of, of repentance and faith. Proclaiming <clears throat> repentance is, is not a well-received re message in our culture. You know that, right? That's part of the reason we, we sometimes are fearful. Um, 
It's not popular because repentance implies that, that God actually has a place of authority to determine what's right and wrong. We don't get to vote on it as a culture. A call to repentance implies that you've done something wrong and have a reason to repent. And in our culture, in our culture, so many stand upon this sinking false foundation of autonomy. And yet, that's a huge part of the message that we are to proclaim, right? That it's only the sick that need a doctor. It's only sinners who need a savior. So we must call people to repentance. In our passage, we, we also learn of whom we are to proclaim this message of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. We are to do so to all nations, to all people groups everywhere. To people in faraway African tribes, to, to people in American suburbs, to people in your dorm rooms, to, to people in huge world-renowned cities and in tiny, unknown rural towns no one's ever heard of. Wherever there are sinners who need a Savior, there we are to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus says the mission here begins in Jerusalem. Why, why Jerusalem? Well, because in one sense, Jerusalem's a, a side quest of sorts, right? Because uh, before they go preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, they, they still need a really important weapon, person, uh, the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to look at that in more detail next week. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it there for now. But they're, they're going to need that, right? Uh, and, and listen, we, we intend for you to hear the gospel from this pulpit very, very often. Intend every single week. Um, but what Jesus is calling his, his church to, his people to hear, it's, it's not just the formal preaching of the word. The, the nations won't be reached if the gospel is only preached in church buildings on Sunday mornings. You know that. It, it must go out with us and in, into the world that God has placed us in, the, the places where God has placed you in, places I'm never going to get to interact with people. It must go out in, in spoken word, but it also should go out adorned by our, our lives of ongoing discipleship. It's adorned by our, our seeking faithful obedience to God's holy word and, and by a humble posture when, uh, of repentance, right? That we can model that for people when we sin against God, when we sin against others. Right? Self-righteousness is, is not a fruit of the Spirit, we adorn the gospel message by, by learning what it means to be meek, by being peacemakers, by learning how to be bold with the truth of the gospel, unapologetic in our apologetics, but by endearing or enduring persecution and loving our enemies. We adorn the message of forgiveness in Christ when we are united in Christ alone, not, not affinity groups of politics or favorite Christian celebrities or you know, whatever else, right? That we are unified in this, this common union that we have with Jesus Christ. We, we adorn the gospel message by caring for widows and orphans and poor and oppressed. Sure, we might disagree with how to do those things. That's fine. But we must care. We, we adorn the gospel message by being different than the world. By having values that reflect Timothy and, and Titus, not TikTok proclaiming the message of hope in Jesus is the mission that we have been called to. And remember, we're not called to get people to respond anyway. Don't put that weight on your shoulders. We're simply called to be faithful with the message, to share the glorious news that, that we can be at peace with God 
by placing our faith in Christ. So, so even though we have not been eyewitnesses to these events ourselves, right, we let us speak up as, as we are witnesses to the power of the gospel. We know what it's like to have our sins forgiven. We know what it's like to, to not have to earn our salvation. We know what it's like to, to rest in Jesus and know our eternity is secure. I've been reading a devotional book called Reading Between the Lines, and the, and the author in this book recently said, uh, he said, grace flows downhill. Uh, he, he said, the flow is, of course, written into the human race. Children are born into this world utterly helpless, empty before their parents, and then as they are filled, as they are nourished and raised up, they go on to have children of their own. They, they pay it forward. No, no 18-year-old is told to sit down with their parents and to write a check for the last 18 years of food, housing, clothing, and taxi service. I think every parent has wanted to do that, uh, but they're no, right? Instead, the, the child freely receives and then freely gives to the next generation. The gospel's a lot like that. We have received the proclamation of the gospel from, from those who received it before us. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it was someone in ministry. Maybe it was through a, a book someone wrote. Maybe it's just a friend. And then we pay it forward. We, we share that same message with our children, our neighbors, our enemies, our friends. Now, I often think back, uh, you all know, I, most of you know, I, I came to faith when I was in high school, uh, and I often think about the, the social risk that a friend of mine took in high school. We had watched the, the Houston Rockets playing for a world championship because Michael Jordan retired for a little while, which made things easier. Um, and anyway, on the, the car ride home, I, I can remember him, him asking me just this simple question. So you've been coming to youth group for a while. What do you think of Jesus? Um, and through that conversation, he, he proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed the, the call for repentance and forgiveness of sins. And, and I'll tell you, God did not enlighten my mind in that moment. I thought it was weird. These are weird questions this guy is asking me. What does he care what I think of Jesus? It was a long time, a much later date, where, where God actually called me to faith, drew me to faith. And, 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 and yet, I, I can't help but think what, what a faithful witness this guy was that he simply proclaimed this message of, of the gospel to me in a really awkward way. It was wonderful, though. I, I mean, it was a beautiful example for me, and I always think back on that. Just That's what we're called to, just to guide people, to, to ask questions, to, to lead them into to understanding the gospel. And So anyway, um, I, I want to end with a quote from Jerry Bridges that, that summarizes the, the heart of this this message, and after reading it to Laura, I feel like I should probably explain some terms in here. Um, the word ter terminus point is when a train is going, it's the very last thing. In fact, I think Atlanta, Georgia was originally called terminus or something like that. Um, and, and a way station is a place that stops on the way and then continues going. So there's your, your vocabulary so you can understand this, this quote. Uh, he says this, he says, we're not to be a terminus point for the gospel, but rather a way station in its progress to the ends of the earth. That's what we are. We, we rejoice in the fact that we know the gospel. Right? That's, that's what drives us to come together and to worship the Lord. That's what drives us to live how we live. That's, that, that's such a glorious thing, but it was never supposed to end with us. It goes on. It goes through us. And, and I love the fact that y'all are involved in so many different areas here. 
places you serve, places you work, places you, you know, the, involved in on campus. You, you go out, because from here, you go out all these different crazy places, and, and with you goes the gospel. It can. And, I, and I'm not saying every moment of every day you just need to be telling people, let me tell you about Jesus right now. You know, every time you walk into every single store. But, but I'm saying we build these relationships. We, we get to know people. We care about people. We, we begin the discipleship process of just asking questions. What do, what do you know about Jesus? What do you think about church? What do you think about Christians? Right? Just start opening that door to give you the opportunity to say, let me tell you about Jesus. And then you pray, right, that the Holy Spirit will do a work in their heart that only the Holy Spirit can do in their heart. Let's pray. Abba, Father, may we be reminded of the most precious gift we have. Jesus. The redemption, the the forgiveness of our our sin, the the redemption of our souls. May, May we remember what it means to be at peace with you, God. And that's a wonderful thing that we are not deserving of. But may we remember what it means to be united to Jesus Christ, what it means to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Remind us so that we may live our days as joyful witnesses to the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel in which we have believed. Make us both wise and bold as to how and when to speak of the glorious hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.